Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. When will California start looking and feeling like its normal pre-pandemic self? Well, it could be Tuesday, June 15th. That's when Governor Gavin Newsom says the state's economy will be allowed to fully reopen. But as KQED health correspondent April Naboski reports, that's as long as vaccinations remain high and hospitalization rates low. So far, California has administered 20 million vaccines. That's more than France or Germany. If California were a country, we'd rank sixth in the world for the number of shots given. With that milestone, Governor Gavin Newsom says the state can now begin planning for a broad reopening. We can confidently say by June 15th that we can start to open up as business as usual. Subject to ongoing mask wearing and ongoing vigilance. The state's mask mandate will remain in place indefinitely, but the state plans to do away with the county-by-county color-coded tier system by summer and instead reopen movie theaters and concert halls on a statewide basis. We will do this all, of course, with science and data as our guide. Secretary of Health and Human Services Dr. Mark Galley says the state is keeping a close eye on variants and how well the vaccines work against them. If we see any concerning rise in our hospitalizations, We will take the necessary precautions. For certain activities, like indoor conventions or basketball games, participants will be required to get tested and show proof of vaccination. The state is also working with Coachella and other outdoor festivals on a plan for them to go forward. For The California Report, I'm April Dimboski. And while most Californians are celebrating Governor Newsom's reopening announcement, seeing it as the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel, many are still struggling with the effects of COVID and could be for a long time to come. These are so-called long haulers, people who got COVID and have taken weeks, even months to recover or they still haven't yet. 32-year-old San Francisco resident Charlie McCone has been wrestling with the effects of COVID, like shortness of breath and chest pains, for 13 months now. I asked him about some of his everyday struggles as he copes with not knowing if things will ever get back to normal for him. I still have shortness of breath, chronic chest tightness, severe fatigue, and, you know, orthostatic 
a hypotension and autonomic disorder that has come out of this. And so, you know, talking to me, looking at me, like, hey, it doesn't look that bad. But the reality is I can't do this for very long and I feel it in spades afterwards. And so all of my energy right now goes through getting through the workday that I am completely flattened at the end of you know the day. And then Friday through Sunday, I am just a wreck because I'm trying to get through the workday because it's the one thing I'm trying to hold on to right now. So today is relatively a little bit of a better day, but I can, as I'm talking, it still feels like I have a band around my chest. It feels like I'm wearing like a 40 pound backpack and I've become accustomed to that. My life is turned completely upside down. I don't know if I'm going to be better in six months or three years or if at all. And none of my doctors can tell me that either. You know, I'm somebody who was this time last year biking 10 miles a day and I'm trying to figure out today whether I can do my 10 minute walk or whether that's going to cause a severe crash and I'm going to pay later. So what have the doctors been able to tell you? What they have told me is there is so much we don't know. And the short answer is we don't know what's going on. What we do know is that one, you have post-COVID syndrome, a post-viral syndrome that we are still learning a lot about. Two, we are 95% confident that there is no significant organ damage. However, there's now reports coming out that there is a lot of microvascular damage in these patients that can't be detected on traditional heart and lung scans. So I'm not, you know, the case isn't fully closed there. And three, we think you're going to get better. However, we know that there is a cohort of patients who develop post-viral syndromes who never get better. How is this affecting you mentally this many months into this? I've had, you know, to be frank, a few nervous breakdowns along the way. And I think that time around Thanksgiving was the hardest thing. And I was like, I may not get better anytime soon. But then it starts to creep in your mind. Oh, you know, around the year mark, I'm definitely going to be feeling a little bit better. February was the worst month I've had. And so now I'm trying to cope with and set expectations for my work, for my long-term relationship, for my family that I have no idea what the future for me looks like right now. And I'm trying to come to terms with that, but it's been a really long, arduous journey to get to that point. And I'm having to force myself to do things like meditation where it's uncomfortable to do that because of my physical symptoms. And I assume it makes it particularly hard both for you and your loved ones and your family because it is it is such terra incognita, right? There's no analog to this. You can't say, oh, this is like something else out there in the medical world. To be very morbid, you know, let's say you come down with something like cancer. I think the the difference with that is I don't think in any, I'm not trying to by any means, you know, compare the two. You come down with a sickness, you're either going to get better or you're not. And I think to that, there is some just sort of finality to that. Like, okay, I'm going to do my best, but eventually this is going to end one way or the other. I think what is so difficult is that there is no end in sight for this. And that's why I do feel like it, it's like being stuck in purgatory is that I've, I've, I'm sick and I don't know when or how this is ever going to resolve. And meanwhile, there are no treatments, therapies, or rehabilitation that can even help me manage my symptoms. If this is something that you're going to be wrestling with, maybe for another year, maybe much longer, you and many other people, 
in a world where people might want to just forget about the pandemic, right? Like, oh, that's something we experienced. We don't want to think about it anymore. If that's the case, what do you want people to know? Long haulers need more recognition because we need more research and we need more rehabilitation. Two, people need to understand that if they get sick, there's not just a 99% chance that they will survive and, and move on. There is a 10 to 30% chance that they will be sick for three months or six months or up to a year or longer. And that's not just people's anecdotal reports now. That is what the science is saying. And then thirdly, there are right now reports that there are up to a million people sick with long COVID in the UK. So imagine what that number is in the United States with the last wave we had. So we are looking right now at the biggest mass disabling event in modern history. And this is going to affect the economy. This is going to affect people's families. And so I am glad that we have just, the United States just announced a billion dollars in research. But I guess the big takeaway would be three things. One, this is a real condition that we need serious, you know, help with from the medical community. Two, there is a 10 to 30% chance that anybody who gets COVID is going to come down with this. And we don't know how much longer uh, COVID is going to be here. So if we want the public to adhere to public health guidelines, if we want the public to get the vaccine, they need to know the total risk and reward. And right now, I don't think people understand that this is a possible outcome. So if they knew that, I think we'd have a better job with com- getting people to comply with our public health recommendations. And then number three, you need to appreciate your health. You know, right now, what I would live the pandemic over again if I could just feel normal through it. If I could just watch the movies I wanted, read the books I wanted, listen to the music I wanted. Things I can't do right now without really struggling to get through them. So everybody out there, appreciate the health you have. One day it may go and you will miss it so much. Charlie McCone, thank you so much for sharing your story and for your time. And I wish you the very, very best. Thank you so much, Saul, and for shedding a light on what is probably the most important afterfalls of this pandemic. And tomorrow on the show, we'll return to the topic of COVID long haulers. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Sonoma County prosecutors have filed criminal charges against Pacific Gas and Electric in connection with the company's role in starting a major fire north of San Francisco in October of 2019. KQD's Dan Brecky has more. 
The charges include five felonies and 28 misdemeanors, and alleged PG&E recklessly started a blaze that led to firefighter injuries and widespread property damage. The complaint also charges the company with illegal air emissions, wildfire smoke, that prosecutors say posed a health threat to Sonoma County residents. Cal Fire investigators announced last July that the fire started when an energized cable on a PG&E transmission tower broke, causing an arc that ignited nearby vegetation. In a statement, PG&E said it was saddened by the losses caused by the Kincaid fire, but the company added, quote, we do not believe there was any crime here. For the California Report, I'm Dan Brecky. A new state law designed to stop real estate speculators from scooping up foreclosed homes in Moss during the pandemic is failing. A KQED investigation found one controversial company, Wedgwood Inc., has gone on a buying spree, acquiring hundreds of homes and often flipping them for big profits during the pandemic. KQED's Aaron Baldessari reports. Jocelyn Foreman rents a single-story 1970s tract home in the East Bay city of Pinole. This is my room right here. It's a simple home, tan with brown trim, set back from the street. It has a steep sloping backyard and a roof that leaks when it rains. And then that room is my daughter's room where my grandson is, and then uh, her twin lives in the other room. Foreman is an outreach worker at the Berkeley Unified School District, and she'd been renting the house for more than two years when she found out it was going to be sold at a foreclosure auction. Like the first thing that I thought when that letter came was, where am I going to sleep? Whose house can I call? So Foreman did something pretty unusual. She went to the auction. It was early March. There were a handful of people in plastic chairs, clutching folders and holding cell phones. The bidding began at $175,000. They just kept going higher and higher and higher. and, And I was like, oh, my God. The winning bid was for $600,000, an amount she couldn't dream of matching. I said, oh my goodness, you know, a little bit of me felt like this was going to happen. I went back to the car and and I knew that I was, you know, this was going to be a journey. The winning bidder was Wedgwood Inc., a Southern California real estate company that brags about having flipped more than 30,000 homes, including one really controversial house in Oakland, where a group of black homeless mothers occupied a house that Wedgwood had bought and kept vacant. They called themselves Moms for Housing. The protest ended in January last year when the moms were evicted and Wedgwood agreed to sell the home to a community land trust. The controversy also sparked a new state law that went into effect in January. It gives tenants of foreclosed properties, as well as nonprofits, an exclusive 45-day window to match the top bid at an auction. Kevin Stein is the deputy director of the California Reinvestment Coalition. And SB 1079 was an effort to kind of open the door to create an opportunity for families, for tenants to attain wealth through home ownership. But the law didn't include any money to help people like Foreman buy those foreclosed houses, so it hasn't had the impact advocates had hoped for. Since the pandemic began, property records show Wedgwood alone has funneled more than $150 million to buy at least 276 properties in over 20 counties across California. Almost all of them were single-family homes, just like Foreman's house in Pinole. 
Stein says this kind of buying is a repeat of what happened after the 2008 housing bust, when corporate homebuyers scooped up foreclosed single-family properties by the thousands. And we think this is a big problem. It was a lost opportunity. We don't want to lose the opportunity again. Wedgwood didn't agree to an interview. But in a statement, the company said that by buying, renovating, and flipping the homes, it's doing a service to the community. Company founder and CEO Greg Geiser did send us an email. In it, he told us he didn't know anything about Foreman's house in Pinole, except that somebody lived there and his company had bought it. To Foreman, though, the home has been a lifeline. Before she moved in two years ago, Foreman and her five children were homeless and couch surfing with relatives. This is it right here. So I said no repeatedly to myself. I'm not going anywhere. Your grandson is not sleeping on somebody's floor. That's not going to happen. So Foreman's in a race against time. She only has until April 18th. She's working with a community land trust to purchase the home. Together, they'll need to raise $600,000 to match Wedgwood's bid. For the California Report, I'm Erin Baldessari. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, April 7th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for listening and talk tomorrow. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. The law firm Perkins Cooey, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCOIE.com. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures. Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!